Well, good morning, everyone, once again. When we pray and we start our prayer with Father God, we're acknowledging a relationship. And so today I want to pray about relationships. So please join me. Our Father, Father God, we believe from your word that you created man in your image in part to enjoy relationship with you forever, just as you've enjoyed relationship within the Trinity since before time began. Father, we thank you for your word, the Bible, throughout which you tell us about both the importance and nature of the relationship you desire with us. We thank you that in the same way you tell us how we are to relate to each other. We thank you for Jesus who came to us and died for us to take away our sin, blocking that relationship with you. And again, we thank you for Jesus, who came to us also to teach us about relationships with you and with each other and to model those relationships. Father, we confess that for many of us, our relationship with you is both much less than you want and sadly much less than we should want. We pray that you will restore that desire, that longing, that need you have placed in us to relate with you, to see you more clearly, to know you more dearly and to follow you more nearly day by day. We confess the priority we give to so many other matters compared to our relationship with you. We confess with shame that most of the time we pray to get something from you when we should be praying for more of you in our lives. We pray for our relationships with other Christians, our brothers and sisters, whom Jesus asks to love as he loved us. Forgive us, Father, as we should be forgiving our brothers and sisters who treat us badly. Help us, each of us, all of us, we pray, to minister and care for every one of our brothers and sisters in this place. Father, help us in these relationships to encourage rather than criticise to be patient, to be willing to serve others and to treat them with goodwill. And today we pray especially for those brothers and sisters of ours who've been forced into online fellowship or no fellowship at all because of infirmity, because of fears for their own health or because of the dictates of governments. We remember how you said it is not good for man to be alone. We miss you, brothers and sisters. And we pray that one day soon you can rejoin our fellowship face to face. We pray for our brothers, the men in this church. Help us with any reluctance to reach out to one another, to being open to the approaches of other brothers, to being vulnerable ourselves. Help us understand that silence and toughing out our problems is not how you want Christian brothers to relate. We pray for our relationships with our loved ones and families, relationships which are struggling due to enforced isolation and lockdowns and social distancing and all the other bans and restrictions on being together. And we pray also against the busyness with which many in our families struggle, with school, with work, with sport, with socialising and with the never-ending clamour of online activity. We pray for our relationship with our neighbours and those in our communities we regularly meet. Help us with opportunities to build more fruitful relationships with them. 
And finally, Father, we pray against the changes in our own culture that are emphasising self and individualism and doing one's own thing and the isolation that these changes bring. Father, help us, we pray, to reach out and to build real relationships, not just Facebook friendships. Help us to introduce these lost ones to the greatest relationship of all, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, and to you, our Father God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Sam's now going to introduce our guest speaker for today. Thanks, Richard. Um, it's wonderful uh, that we, we have uh, Barry the Chance with us today. Um, before Barry comes up, I actually just wanted to um, share something. Some of you might not know this, um, but one of the reasons that Joe emigrated from England to Australia was that uh, Barry was influential in Joe's dad coming over to teach at Table Bible College that uh, Barry set up. And so I actually owe... Uh, a lot to, to Barry. Thank you for, for bringing Joe to Australia for us to meet. And our children owe some of their, you could say, their existence to you uh, for, for that role that you've played in their lives. So uh, we're, we're beneficiaries of Barry. Uh, but also, I, I actually studied for five years at Tabor College. Uh, and during that time, many of um, Barry's writings and uh, literature uh, in all of the areas of the subjects are still being used. And so I've benefited from uh, Barry's wisdom and, and knowledge and ministry life. So we are all going to be beneficiaries today as Barry comes up to share. Well, you're welcome, Barry. Thanks for coming to share with us today, Barry. Thank you, Sam. Good morning, everyone. It's a great blessing to be here with you today. We have been very much looking forward to this occasion. I think it's the third date we actually set for various reasons. Either we couldn't come or it didn't suit here, but we finally agreed, and here we are. <laughs> That's great. And uh, hey, it's the first time I've been here in this building with you. This is fantastic. Love this place. I can't see a clock anywhere. <laughs> You shouldn't have told me that, Sam. <laughs> I know one place used to have a clock set in the pulpit here. So you just put something over top of it. That was all right. Yeah. So when I came, they put a calendar there. Come on, come on. <laughs> yeah. So it's always a joy, of course, to be together as the people of God. I appreciate the prayer just then for those who can't be here. And uh, I think it's easier to forget people when they're not here. Uh, so need to keep in mind those who, for various reasons, especially if those who are unwell or infirm or aged, whatever. Um, even so, Jesus is wherever his people are. And we know that, and that's great. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you for your kind reference to uh, Tabor and to my... In Falbin and your children, our, obviously our grandchildren. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, I, I can't, well, there's some difference in memory about this, but as far as I remember things, we met um, Graham and Jill in England because we met Keith and Trixie, Graham's brother, before. Um, and, um, and then, but as far as I recall, that Graham came here to Adelaide and told me he was going to work for me. <laughs> That's how I remember it. It wasn't that I asked him, would that be right? 
You think so? <laughs> That's what I recall. And he said God had called him, and he was. So we said, "All right, <laughs> join the team." <laughs> okay. And your reference to writings that I've done, um, some of them there on the screen, I think. So if you're interested in uh, any of those things, a lot of free stuff, uh, stories, poems, uh, scripts for for um, skits, for little plays, children's books, e-books, all sorts of stuff there. Just go to barrychant.com, very easy to find. Of course, we do have some printed books here this morning. I'll just mention a couple of those to you, if I may. Um, we have some free books there. For, we did have free books there for children, but they've basically... Uh, Vanessa's given those away already, I think, um, although we might have one more or more left. Uh, oh, there's a couple for teenagers. And, um, but also, um, writing books and selling books is, is not something we do to pay for our ministry. That really is our ministry. That's just what we do. And we have um, quite a few more books than we need at the moment. So in order to get them out, because they're not doing any good at all on my storeroom at home, uh, we've really reduced the prices on everything. And so a book like this, for example, that normally sells in the bookshops $29.99 or $30 in other words, um, that today, $5. How's that for discounting? This is a great book on this one. This is Revival. CRC, is a, the, the letter R stands for Revival, and this is a book about the nature of revival. Quite a bit about Leo Harris's teaching in here as well. It's illustrated with, with coloured photos of various revival stories. Uh, some of the stories in here have never been published before since they were first released years ago in a magazine of some kind somewhere. And so that's a great book. Uh, also, this one, Your Guide to God's Power. Uh, we, used to, we used to sell that for $15, $5 today. Um, that's a little book about how to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. If you want a book on hand to give to somebody who asks questions about that, this is your book. It's been around since the 1970s, been reprinted and revised several times. This is the current edition, but it's a great little book, easy to read, and uh, you can find good use for that. All sorts of other things there. Um, I won't go through them all, except maybe this one, my personal practical prayer diary. Have any of you seen this before? One or two people. Okay, look. This book, uh, this sounds awful to say, or sounds boastful, but uh, if you use this, it will make your prayer life more effective. That sounds like an extreme promise to make. I can say this, if you don't use it, it won't make your prayer life any more effective. <laughs> it's just a, this little guide to how to pray. got all sorts of stuff in here. Uh, guidance about how to pray for your friends and loved ones, uh, all characterised by different coloured pages. There's um, hints about how to pray better. There's actually, there's actually a diary in it. Uh, there are memory verses. Every chapter in the Bible is listed in this book. So as you read the scriptures ticking off each chapter, when you've read, ticked every one, you know you've read the whole Bible, um, even if you're using another program for that. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, it costs us $5 to produce these. That's the price, $5. Okay, there's nothing in it for us except the knowledge that your prayer life is improving, we hope. Okay, um, enough on all that, but do have a look at the book table afterwards. We Usually we have um, either cash or credit card. I've just got a new phone, and I realised to my dismay this morning that I hadn't transferred the credit card facility to the phone, so it looks like it's all cash today. <laughs> there we are. All right. <clears throat> I want to talk to you this morning on the theme, Follow the Lamb. Now, I'm supposed to have a clicker. From somebody, somewhere. 
Oh, right there. It's not hard to find. Everything's on the table. All right. So, so there's the topic. Follow the Lamb. And uh, we're going to read from the scripture in a moment. But before we do, I wonder if you'd pray this prayer together with me. Let's just, and if you're online, you can do this too. Let's, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, please give us sharp minds to understand and soft hearts to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice what we prayed for. Not for soft minds and hard hearts, but sharp minds, soft hearts. Hearts to understand. Sorry, minds to understand, hearts to believe. I'm going to read now from the book of Revelation, chapter 7. It would be my feeling that you've possibly never heard anyone preach on this passage before. Anyway, maybe I'm wrong, but let's see. John, one of his many visions as recorded in the book of Revelation. Then he says, I saw another angel descending from the east who had the seal of the living God. Seal here does not mean sea creature, as I'm sure you understand. <laughs> Just trying to imagine angel, big seal in his... No, uh, right. Anyhow, uh, he shouted out with a loud voice. If you, when you're reading the book of Revelation, you notice that shouts with loud voices are very common in the book. It's a very noisy book. And the angel said, Do not damage the earth or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Now, we will define what a seal means there. Uh, we learned a bit later on that uh, the seal was actually the name of the Father and the name of the Son. So you've got this group of people, servants of God, and they've got the name of the Father and the Son written on their foreheads. Um, the word servants there means slaves. It's the word doulos you've heard probably used in many other contexts. So these are the slaves of God. Now, I heard the number of those who are marked with the seal... 144,000 sealed from all the tribes of the people of Israel. Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin. Now people are always asking who these 144,000 are. Well, they're the Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, so that answers that question. <laughs> you don't believe me? <laughs> well, they believe it. <laughs> Part of Jehovah's Witnesses' original teaching was that the first 144,000 was this number. And they're the ones that go to heaven, the others all stay on earth. So solve that one. No, seriously, um, there's all sorts of theories about who this 144,000 are. And we will come back to some of those in a moment. But um, uh, most, one of the most common ones is, of course, that they are all Jews because of the names of the tribes there. You can see at the bottom of the screen. Now, there's some difficulties with that. Uh, first of all, that the name Jew was never used of most of those tribes. It only came into use after the, uh, the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century before Christ. Uh, there were no, the name was never used before that. <clears throat> to use it now would be like, say, calling Italians Romans, um, because they used to be called Romans so long ago. So um, you, they say, no, they're not Jews. The Israelites, perhaps, um, so that would be the nearest you get. But then there's another problem, that one of the tribe, or two of the tribes, are missing from the list. The tribe of Dan is not there. You want to say, why isn't Dan there? Would you like to know? So would I. Uh, it's not there. <laughs> um, now, the tribe of Joseph is mentioned, but then so is his son Manasseh. But his other son, Ephraim, is not included. Um, 
So it's not even a, a correct list. What does that mean that the Bible somehow made a blue here that John got it wrong? I don't think so. I think this is a clue to tell us that this is not intended to be an exact list. It's intended to be a symbolic list. And that's one of the keys to understanding Revelation, that it is a book of symbols, which John tells us in the very first chapter when he says this is a book that was given by signs. In chapter 12, verse 1, John saw a sign. Chapter 12, verse 3, saw another sign. Chapter 13, verse 1, saw another sign. And signs all the way through. And interestingly, in chapter 11, uh, where John uses the names of Sodom and Egypt and calls them both cities, which they're not, only Sodom was a city. Um, before that, he uses the word pneumaticos, which is based on the word pneuma for spirit, or Holy Spirit, and it means spiritual. He said this is spiritual terminology. So this is a kind of a spiritual symbolism that goes through the whole of Revelation. And if we try and make it too literal, we miss that. The book is not intended to be literal. It's intended to be symbolic. With, In fact, we, we could almost say almost nothing is what it seems. Almost everything has a deeper spiritual meaning. Um, also, um, if we've got 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe. Tribes don't work like that. Families don't work like that. Um, let's assume, for sake of argument, that your parents, like mine, had 12 children, which means they were one of these... No, it wasn't, you know, um, had 12 children. But that doesn't mean to say that all their children had 12 children. They all have different numbers of kids. Uh, and that's how families work. Some have so many, some have few, some have none. Uh, and you know, family life is not rigid and regimented like that. And so that's another clue that the numbers here are clearly symbolic. So what do they symbolise? Well... Uh, maybe 12 is a significant one. You can think of some 12 straight away in the scripture, I'm sure. 12 tribes, 12 disciples, two of the Old Testament, the New Testament. Uh, the number 10 is symbolic, which is um, part of the number 144,000. Um, and the number 10, of course, 10 commandments. Then you've got three, numbers 3 and 4. 3, 4 is a 12. 12, 12 is 144. Uh, so uh, 3, the number of God. Four, a number of the four Gospels. There's symbolism all the way around the place with this number. The number 1,000 tends to mean completeness in Scripture. You see it in the size of the New Jerusalem city and other places. So it's got all these symbolic numbers. The whole thing is packed with symbolism. So keep that in mind as we go on a bit further. Then I looked and behold on... This is now jumping to chapter 14. Then I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So um, now we know where these people were, there's 144,000, on Mount Zion. Now, the literal Mount Zion is part of the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is built on a big mountain and it's kind of a spur coming out from it, um, which they called Zion. It was a fortress that had steep cliffs all around it um, and walls around the top. It was a fortress so strong that the original Jebusite said that uh, even a blind person could defend it. And they were astonished when David actually managed to get in and conquer it. So Zion became a kind of a fortress, the, the central part of the city of Jerusalem. But it's not very big. Um, roughly, very much roughly, the, about the size of the arena at the Melbourne Cricket Ground. That's about the size of, of Mount Zion at the base apart from the top, which kind of slopes in a bit. So it's not a very big area. So here you've got the 144,000 standing uh, on Mount Zion. Well, you'd have to pack them in to fit them. <laughs> um, like in, in 1959, 
when Dr. Billy Graham preached at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, they had 143,000 plus several hundred people, almost 144,000. Well, so now you know who they are. <laughs> if you were there, you're in it. <laughs> but seriously, that 143-something thousand in Melbourne Cricket Ground included the stands, not just the arena. So it's, 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 it, you need a big area to get 144,000 people in. It's a big crowd. So it sounds, again, like this is an impossible thing. Mount Zion, it's, it's got steep cliffs, it's got houses on it, it's got a wall around it. You know, the, it's almost impossible to think how those people, unless they're hanging on the cliff face, could ever fit on such an area. So again, it's symbolic, symbolic of a fortress, and it became symbolic of, of, of the city of God. Psalm 148 talks about that. Uh, Psalm 48, rather, talks about that, and uh, about the beauty of Zion. And then we get phrases in the in the Psalms of marching up to Zion, in, in Micah chapter five of the word of the Lord going out from Zion. So Zion became known as kind of the center of the kingdom of God in Old Testament days. Then in Micah, when he talks about the word going forth, that's the word of the Messiah of Christ going through through all the earth. Uh, and uh, you see there a, a relationship with the idea of the church. So um, so again, symbol after symbol here. You've got to try and put all these symbols together. So, he goes on. I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters. Here's this loud voice again. Like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpers playing on their harps. Now, what do you think of that? The voice sounds like rushing waters, sounds like Niagara Falls, it sounds like torrential thunder, and it sounds like harpists playing their harps. Yeah. Again, I mean, that is, cannot be taken literally. It's not intended to be. It is saying on the one hand, uh, this voice is like is so powerful that we're going to tremble at the sound of it. It's awe-inspiring. But on the other hand, it's sweet and it's beautiful. And how can you have a sound like that? Well, in human terms, you can't. But here is a, a, just another symbolic thing saying something about this group of people and who they are. All right. Now they were singing a new song before the throne and before the elders and the four living creatures. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Ooh, redeemed. Well, that means bought. And the only redemption we know of in the scripture is redemption through the blood of Jesus or the sacrifice of Jesus. And this new song, they sing because they have been saved, redeemed through the blood of Christ. And no one else can sing the song of the redeemed. Only the redeemed can sing it. It's a new song. If you go back to chapter 5, uh, the chapter about the lion and the lamb, uh, there's, a, there's a song there that indicates just, just what the words might be, but they talk about uh, how the fact that he has loosed them from their sin and, and made them white in the blood of the lamb and so on. So um, again, we're saying, and trying to identify these people, who actually are they? Well, we're getting there. Now, it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Now, that word defiled is a bit of a tough one because it sounds a bit cruel and a bit, uh, a bit uh, impolite, to say the least. It clearly is talking about illicit sexual behaviour. Uh, there's so much also in the scripture about marriage being divinely ordained by God and being a blessed state that he's given to us. It's clearly not talking about marriage. It's talking about illicit fornication, adultery, and so on. 
But what it does tell us, if we're going to take it literally about these people, is they're all men. There's no women there. So if it is literally Israel, it's none of the women, just the men, just the blokes, no women included. So again, we have to say, uh, whatever this means, it can't be taken literally because these people are redeemed. These are the redeemed. The redeemed include women, not just men. So again, you can see it's all symbolic all the way through. There's no way we can take this as a literal group of people. I know one of the theories about them is that they are Jewish evangelists who are raised up at the very last days. Well, it just doesn't fit. Just doesn't fit. The number, the number is too tight. It's too unreal. It's too unnatural. Uh, these are all men anyway. Um, they, uh, the number is uh, just too small for, in some views and too big in other views. And so we can go on. So who, who are these people? These are those, those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. We're going to come back to that one at the end and talk more about that. Um, and um, they have been redeemed for mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. He's that word redeemed again. And the firstfruits in ancient times in, in, in Israel, when the harvest is brought in, the first of the lambs, the first of the goats, the first of the cattle, the first of the barley, the first of the wheat was all to be given to God. So these represent the very beginning of the people of God. And uh, in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. They don't tell lies. They speak the truth. And blameless, there's no sin can be attributed to them. So I think we're getting close to working out who they are. But you can see why we can see who they're not. (laughs) Who they're not. It's not a literal number of people from Israel. Uh, It is, in fact, a spiritual people with a spiritual kind of designation okay let's go back to chapter 7 um, and uh, we're going back to the beginning now because we've, what we've done so far we've read some verses from chapter 7 and some from chapter 14 uh, about the 144,000 now we're going back to chapter 7 again to pick up the rest of the story now what happens here is, is I've highlighted in the way the scripture is, is seen there uh, on the screen Notice two words are highlighted, the word heard and the word looked. And so he says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. After this, I looked and I beheld a great multitude. Now, this is interesting. John does not say that he actually saw this 144,000. Didn't see them at this point. Didn't see them. All he did was heard about them. When he looked, what he did see was a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. That's what he actually saw. And we have to come to the conclusion that the 144,000 thing is a uh, symbolic way of describing the whole people of God from every tribe, every language, every nation, every people. And friends, this is one of the key, uh, keys of understanding the book of Revelation that about six times the book tells us that God's kingdom is comprised of people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every, every people, those four groups. One place it has the word kings instead of people. Um, so in other words, it's a message for the whole of, of humankind. And not just people alive now, but people who have ever been alive. For all people, the whole nation, all of them. Uh, this is what the book is about. So any interpretation of Revelation that talks only about a certain group of people or a certain era is really missing the point. And so one of the interesting things is 
I have a heap of books on this subject on my shelves. And I cannot think of one of them in its attempt to interpret this book, and especially those who see it all as applying just to the last generation, I can't think of one of them who says it all takes place in China or in Africa or in India or in Southeast Asia. It all takes place in Europe or the Middle East. And, and, and that's not what the book is about. Not about just a part of the world. Many modern books on the subject think about it applying only to the last generation. But this is for every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And so the overarching thrust and message of the book of Revelation is for everybody, everywhere. And so I have a philosophy about um, preaching and teaching that if, if what I cannot, if what I'm preaching and teaching cannot be taught everywhere, it should not be taught anywhere. In other words, if I only have a gospel, as some people do, that says, now you become a Christian, you'll become rich. If you say that, it's not, you can't say that everywhere. You can't teach that in slums of Afghanistan at the moment or places like that. You know, it's, it's just not the truth for them at this time. You can't say that. And so, and there are many other things like that, many other doctrines we could pick out and say, beautiful in this place at this time, but if it can't be preached at that place at that time also, it's not the gospel. Because the gospel is for everybody, everywhere, at all time. Is that making sense? Yeah. So when you're reading Revelation, don't be lured into saying it's this or it's that or something else. The whole point about Revelation is it applies to everybody. And the intriguing thing about it, say, for example, just to digress a moment, people are asking, is the pandemic part of the book of Revelation? Well, yeah, it is. <clears throat> but so was the Spanish flu 100 years ago. And so was the plague that preceded the fire of London, 1666. And so was the 14th century, Black Death. They all were because the book is saying this is a message that applies to all time, to every period, to all people. So whenever people come up against the plague or warfare, things like that, yes, the revelation can apply to them. It's got that kind of universal value. It's a universally applicable book. And when you get hold of that, you think, hey, this is magnificent. Begin to see how, uh, you, when you read it, it, it's got symbols that apply to almost any situation. It's a very encouraging book. <clears throat> Let's go on. So here they this this great multitude. Oh, and by the way, um, we sang before about the lion and the lamb. That's Revelation chapter 5. It's interesting, in that chapter, when uh, the, the, uh, the one who's on the throne, which is God, uh, has a scroll with seven seals, and nobody can open it, and the whole world... Weeps. John in particular says he could not stop crying because no one was worthy to open the scroll. But one of the four living creatures says to, one of the elders rather, says to John, don't weep because look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has conquered in order to open the scroll. And so John looks and what does he see? A lamb, like it's been slaughtered. He hears about a lion, what he sees is a lamb. That happens frequently in the book. And here, John hears about 144,000, what he sees is a great multitude. So we have it here again. So here's the great multitude standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes, it speaks of holiness. Uh, palm branches in their hands, speaks of praise. And crying with a loud voice, so this is a noisy book. <laughs> Pretty Pentecostal, really. And <laughs> salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And that's 
what they are shouting. And they know about salvation because these are the saved. These are, in other words, these are us. <laughs> this is the church. This is God's church. And symbolized by 144,000 men in practice, an innumerable multitude of people who have experienced redemption through the blood of the Lamb. So it's a very thrilling passage of scripture, really, when you just sort of unlock a couple of the, the keys, get a couple of keys and unlock some of the locks to, to see that in, in different ways all the way through the book, over and over again, we're getting the same message, that although there's much trouble and trial and tribulation in the earth, at the same time God has his people a number, a, beyond, a group beyond number, a group that are his redeemed and his people. And they truly sing, salvation belongs to our God. In other words, not that he needs saving, but salvation is what he has. It's like saying wealth belongs to our God. That means it's wealth that we share from. So we're saying we know that he has salvation, so that's where we receive it. Our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, we haven't got time to go back through all the things we could uh, say there. Let's just take a bit more from chapter 7. One of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? And John very humbly says, well, sir, you tell me. <laughs> sort of, that's putting a slightly Aussie twist on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, mate, you tell me. Yeah. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. <clears throat> now, many people f- believe that the great tribulation is something that happens to, say, the last seven years of human history. Um, I can't find any biblical evidence for that. can't see it in the Scripture. And it's interesting here that this is the whole church he's talking about now. They've all come out of great tribulation. And in Greek, by the way, you notice there's a definite article here. That's the word the here. Uh, Where is it there? Um, Which makes it sound like there's only one. But in Greek, when you have an abstract noun like tribulation, it's quite common to put a definite article before it. It doesn't always happen, but it often does. Whereas we would talk about something like joy or trouble. Sometimes the Greek Testament talks about the joy or the trouble. It's just a grammatical thing. And so if you take the word the out here, say just simply, these are those who are coming out of great tribulation. Just ignore that word because you don't have to translate it. Um, You can see that it covers a much wider extent. And, of course, that's what Jesus said. In the world you'll have tribulation. Told us that. And um, says it right through scripture. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, God has granted us the privilege of suffering for his name. Amazing thing. God's given us that privilege. You think, is that a privilege? Suffering by the name of Jesus. And we'd say, God has given us the great privilege of rejoicing. Yeah, true. But also the tribulation of enduring trouble. His name. Second um, Timothy 3:15, Paul says, All those who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Isn't that a nice one? <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't laugh about it, but but um, yeah, there's a price to pay. Tribulation is part of the deal for those who want to follow Jesus. Now, I think when people get it wrong sometimes, they sometimes confuse wrath with trouble. Now, there are two words for wrath in the New Testament, and they both mean exactly that, God's anger. God's anger. Um, One of them is the word orge, which is interesting as we get the word um, to do with sexual misbehaviour from that part of the word. But it's... um, the word simply means wrath and anger. But then the other word is a funny word in Greek. It doesn't matter what it is, but, but it means trouble or tribulation. Now, we are told clearly God uh, that Jesus has delivered us from the wrath of God. 
We we don't believers have been delivered from that. There is no wrath for believers. God is not going to pour His anger upon His people. But trouble is a different issue. Peter said in First Peter chapter two verse twenty one, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that what we should follow in His steps. Suffered for us, leaving us an example we should follow in His steps. So suffering is part of the deal. Christianity was born in suffering. We have a suffering saviour. We have a wounded healer. It was born in suffering. So if suffering and pain, especially for the gospel, comes our way, we should not consider it some strange thing. It's part of what we should expect. And we are seeing that in our country right now. It's happening all around the place, where Christians are getting more and more edged to one side and edged out of things because this sort of unrelenting tide to change the culture that we live in, to break down our traditional values, break down our traditional customs. You can see that happening all around you. See, just last week, euthanasia bill passed in Queensland and abortion bill passed here not long ago. There's a bill in Victoria now uh, being considered to make it illegal for Christian schools or churches to refuse employment to someone on the grounds of their sexual preferences uh, or any other similar preference. All the way through, we're getting um, rules made, laws changed to make it difficult. Um, Customs that 100 years ago were considered shameful, like getting pregnant when you're not married, um, sex before marriage, uh, things like that. Nowadays, it's exactly the opposite. You're considered strange if you don't do those things, or some of those things. So there's, there's been a major cultural shift in our society. It's happening all the time. And um, so when we suffer trouble because of that, and it's going to cost some people their jobs. And which is another way of saying they won't accept the mark of the beast so they won't be able to trade. That's the same thing. Uh, so um, tribulation is part of the deal, sad to say. Uh, in Australia right now, even in spite of what I just said, life's pretty easy compared with some places. But many parts of the world, it's much, much worse. You all know about that. I don't know how much you know about missionary activity in the Middle East, but I know we have friends who are working in Afghanistan and thank God the ones we know about have all got out. But, you know, they were there at the risk of their lives. Because they, they knew when they went there, even before all this happened, they knew when they went there they might never come out alive. That's part of it, it is. So, um, therefore, it says, they are before the throne of God. This is verse 15 now. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now we tend to read that and put it all in heaven. And that is clearly true. But there's also a truth for now in this as well. That uh, even though with this tribulation and trouble, that we still have the presence of the lamb is our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water. And he will wipe away the tears from our eyes. And we, we can claim those promises now because right through Scripture it says things like that. that bless, and Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, and so on. Uh, so um, in a sense, the life we have now is a kind of a foretaste of what is to come, but we see the same things now in a spiritual sense that we're going to see fulfilled much greater in the days ahead. Well, <clears throat> you shouldn't have told me about this clock, Sam. So... Um, Okay, so what does this mean to us? Well, 
Just follow Jesus. <laughs> now we see that back here in, in chapter 7, chapter 14. Um, first, the third line there. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, that really summarises the whole thing, I think. Now, what I find very interesting here is that John does the, uh, I think it's the angel speaking here, he does not say to John, these are those who follow the lion. These are they who follow the lamb. It's interesting, isn't it? I don't know about you, I'd rather follow the lion. <laughs> God before us, who can be against us? <laughs> I like both of those things. You know. God always leads us in victory and so on. And that's true. In, 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 that's, that's part of the truth. But the other part of the truth is here in this present age, it's, uh, there's also this conflict going on between the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of, of light. Two things are going on together. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. I want to pick out just two things here. One is notice that it says uh, that there's no lie found in their mouth. No lie found. We live in a community which is, which is full of lies. Now, look, I don't want to put everybody down. We, Australia is a great country. I'm proud to be an Australian. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. I've visited lots of different countries, but they're always good to come home. Uh, there are lots of wonderful people in our country, even those who are not avowedly Christian. Uh, many of them still live according to Christian principles as they understand them. Um, but on the other hand, we have this constant... Uh, falsehood lies being told around us and I fear for our children who are being told such lies I just happened to pick up accidentally a radio broadcast the other day some parents are calling into the talk show complaining that they'd been watching the program The Voice on television and they were alarmed that every ad break had an ad in it about gambling and I've only ever seen The Voice once in my whole life and that happened to be last week <laughs> and that was true Every ad, every ad break basically had a gambling ad in it. The parents say, our kids can, can so we turn it on silent, we mute it, and the kids just give all the lyrics anyway because they know them off by heart. They've seen them so often. You know, lies. Being, kids being bombarded with them. And I fear for the future if children who never have any Christian upbringing to kind of counteract that. We see it in terms like, um, we'll take Islamophobia. And all those phobia terms, or homophobia. Now, a phobia is a psychotic problem, it's a psychotic illness. It's an irrational fear. And you know, to use those terms is simply a lie. I don't know about you, but um, I'm not afraid of people who differ from me in those respects. And I know people who are Muslim and I'm not afraid of them. Don't have a phobia about it. But those words suggest that, that and then the other word is like the word hate. Nowadays, if you disagree with somebody, then you are exercising hate speech. Now, hate used to mean you know, strong, negative feeling about somebody. Nowadays, even the most casual disagreement can be described as hate. The language is being abused. And of course, they're being abused in funny ways too. Like uh, when um, the, the young English tennis player won the US Open. That was insane. <laughs> You're just saying? <laughs> That's what you say these days. Yeah. You don't say, that was great, that was wonderful. No, that was insane. Yeah. Um, or, she killed her opponent. Really? Well, that's what you say. So language, I mean, language is like that. Language changes all the time. But sometimes it is changing in a negative and misleading way. These people, no lies found in their mouth. 
And friends, we need to be able to speak truly and truthfully without telling lies. And then the other one again, just here, they are blameless. Now, that's a strong one. But it's required for elders that they be blameless. In fact, there's about there's lots of times in the New Testament calls us to be blameless. And the word means exactly what it says. People that cannot be blamed for things. Because well, they can be, but can't be truth, truly blamed for things. Because uh, we live free from deliberate sin. We live in such a way that uh, yeah, there's no fault can be found. You say, that's impossible. Well, yeah, a lot of things are impossible. doesn't mean to say we should name for them. Perhaps we can put it like this. It's not impossible to sin. You know, there's no such thing as that sort of perfectionism where you can't sin even if you wanted to. It's not impossible to sin. But it is possible not to sin. It's a different thing, but it's a strong thing. It's possible not to sin. And just to say, well, I couldn't help myself or I couldn't, you know, I was too strong for me, I couldn't. You know, that's, that's not it. It's not it. What this passage is saying that the people of God are blameless. All right. <clears throat> so they have been redeemed from mankind or humankind as first fruits. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And I want to just finish this part by saying, well, you need to follow Jesus wherever he goes, whatever he says, wherever he leads. And, but it's the lamb we are following, and he may well lead us into pathways of suffering and of trauma. Now, it sounds strange. We say, well, on the one hand, you're saying we've got the lion. On the other hand, we've got the lamb. Yeah, that's how it is in this present age. We do know the power of the lion. We do know the authority that is ours in Christ. We do know the victory over sin that we have, and that's what I'm talking about now, okay? Talking about now. And going through tribulation doesn't mean giving in to sin. There's two different things. And so at times, there'll be times when life will be tough through criticism, persecution, sickness, disease, all manner of things. But the victory can still be ours. I don't know if you ever saw the film The Railway Man. It talks about an English uh, soldier who was imprisoned on the Burma Railway during World War II. And he went back years later, decades later, to find the guard who had treated him so maliciously and to get revenge on him. And I won't tell you how it all turns out in the end. But at one point, as the two of them are talking, when they finally meet, the, um, uh, the British guy says something about that he, he uh, regrets that he gave in. Uh, to what happened to it. And the, the Japanese guy says, says, you never surrendered. And he was a prisoner the whole time, outwardly. But this Japanese recognised this man in his heart had never surrendered. His heart had never given in, no matter what it cost him to be a prisoner there. And that's what we're talking about here. We may be surrounded by a cruel and wicked world, and uh, like the lamb, we suffer unjustly. The world is an unfair place. But we also have the spirit of the lion, <laughs> It says, no matter what, I'm not giving in. I'm not surrendering. I will follow the Lamb wherever He leads, wherever He goes. And that's the challenge that comes out of this morning's Bible passage. The challenge is this, to follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And this is a universal message. This does apply to every nation, every tribe, every language, every people. It's not just the last seven years of history. It's all of time past, present and now, all of nature, all of creation, everywhere for the people of God are the people who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Okay, in um, 
I had a question here a minute ago. So what does this mean? Just follow Jesus. And uh, following the Lamb takes us to Luke 14, where Jesus said in verse 27, If any man would follow me, let him take up his cross every day and follow me. And that's the challenge that Jesus said. In uh, the 19th century, going back a bit of time in history now, there was a woman named Charlotte Elliott. Now, she was never married. She was a single lady. She was um, quite uh, gifted as a portrait artist. Uh, she was a writer of humorous verse, and before she died, she finished up writing 150 hymns and poems. Now, when she was uh, when she was about 32 years two years old, thereabouts, she was very sick um, with depression, with physical illness. She'd been brought up in a, a godly home, but she had never found it easy to admit Christ into her life. And one day she was visited by one Dr. Milan from Geneva, a strong Calvinist preacher and Bible teacher. And he tried to introduce her to Jesus and, and asked her, said, Charlotte, uh, have you found peace with God? And she was quite resentful because she'd been a Christian, she thought, all these years. And she got angry with him. But, if you, but after she thought about it, she realized that she needed to hear that question. And so they talked again. And she said to Dr. Milan, she said, oh, but she said, I would, I would like to be a Christian, but I need to clean myself up first. <laughs> and he said, Charlotte, just come just as you are, just as you are. And out of that, she finished up writing a song that said, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Just as I am, I come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That song was translated in many languages. It was internationally acclaimed. Uh, it was written actually in 1836. Uh, she's, where are we now? 2021. People still sing it today. Uh, Dr. Billy Graham used it in uh, all of his crusade meetings. He actually said, um, this, this song, he said, it, it has the strongest possible biblical basis for the call of Christ, he said. Um, Another person said it was an amazing legacy for an invalid woman who felt useless in God's service. Someone else said, <clears throat> though weak and feeble in body, Charlotte Elliott possessed a strong imagination, a well-cultured and intellectual mind. Her verses characterised by tenderness of feeling, plaintive simplicity, deep devotion, perfect rhythm. She sang for those in sickness and sorrow, as very few others have ever done. So I thought it might be nice today if we could actually sing that song. So we get the musicians to come and join us here. And uh, some of you will know it. How many of you think you know it already? Enough people, that's good. Okay. So we will sing it together. Um, this is a slightly modified version. It has an extra couple of verses, which uh, really fit in very well with the passage we've talked about this morning. So we'd like to stand with me. Let's sing it again together, just as I am. We could have a slight introduction, please. <laughs> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for God I come, I come.
together now. Just while we bowed in prayer before the Lord, uh, maybe just again think about those words and, and maybe God's talking to your heart today about something or some place or somewhere and you need to follow the Lamb. Maybe something ahead for you is very tough right now. Follow the Lamb. Maybe uh, there's a great blessing ahead. Follow the Lamb. Uh, maybe it involves doing something you're scared to do. Just follow the Lamb. Maybe there's fear holding you back. Just follow the Lamb. And maybe you're afraid of giving something up. Follow the Lamb. Um, it could be anything. Sometimes very small things just hold us back. And we just hold us back for some little thing. It just means nothing. And I want to challenge you today. And uh, I know sometimes it's customary to ask people to come forward to the front as an act of dedication. I'm not going to do that this morning. The, this morning, the, the challenge this morning is not to come way out here, but to go out there, <laughs> out through the door, and that way to follow the Lamb wherever He leads, whatever He calls upon you to do. And to do that with faith and conviction and trust and, and just to believe that as you follow Jesus, as you follow Jesus, then the answer will always be good. The outcome will always be good. The process might be troubling sometime, but the victory is the Lord's. And although we're following the Lamb, He is also still the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and He's still our victorious, conquering Saviour. And nothing can overcome us. Nothing can drown us. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can overwhelm us because we're following the Lamb. Where He goes is a safe place to go. It's always safe in the presence of Jesus. So let us just take that in mind now. I wonder if we could just sing that fifth verse stanza one more time. Just a lamb, whatever the cost. Just as I am, whatever the cost. Thank you, Barry and Vanessa. It was great having you amongst us today. Um, feel free as a, uh, to have a look at the, the book um, table as you go. Uh, it's time for us to finish our, our, our time of uh, formalities. Uh, feel free to grab a coffee and sit down as you drink your coffee. Um, but I just want to just, just pray your blessing as you go. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. Uh, we thank you for the sense of being strong to follow you wherever you go. And Lord, I pray for, pray for that over everyone today as, that, as Barry just said, as we walk out the door into our workplaces, uh, into our relationships, uh, into whatever realm we find ourselves in. What does it mean to follow you? What does it mean, mean to lean on you uh, in strength as we, as we head into those uh, areas in our lives? Lord, help us and strengthen us, we pray as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, bless you all. Uh, hang around for a coffee. Feel free to have a look at the books and uh, have a chat to someone maybe you haven't had a chat to before. That would be great.